listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino, Placerville. And it's time for the Wednesday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Hospice of the Foothills Gift and Thrift Stores with four locations in Nevada City, Grass Valley, Penn Valley, and Rough and Ready. All proceeds support end-of-life care for patients and families. Information at hospiceofthefoothills.org. Also, Zelmer Law Group, a real estate and business law firm with offices on Broad Street in Nevada City and Santa Rosa. Jay Zelmer has been practicing law in California since 1983. Information, zelmerlawgroup.com. After the NPR headlines and local weather, I'll be speaking with Taylor Wolf from Nevada County Government, and we'll be talking about the COVID virus vaccine, which is soon to be distributed in our county. Also, I'll talk with Erin Manette. She is mayor of Nevada City, and we're going to be talking about the Nevada City Safe Program. Closing out the newscast is a commentary with George Rabin. At 6.30, we'll be broadcasting this week's edition of The Sages Among Us, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines, followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. Congressional leaders are citing progress in the latest round of negotiations on the next coronavirus relief bill. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports lawmakers are up against a deadline to reach a compromise on the bill and decide whether to attach it to a larger spending plan to avert a government shutdown on Friday. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says lawmakers will not break for the holiday recess until they reach a compromise. We're not leaving here without a COVID package. It's not going to happen. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer says the next round of relief funding can't wait. We need to pass COVID relief to help our fellow Americans get by until we eradicate this virus. McConnell and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi have been discussing the possibility of attaching a bipartisan relief measure to a larger spending bill that will keep the government funded through next year. But lawmakers are deadlocked on two major issues, including additional aid for state and local governments. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. In the latest example of a White House that refuses to accept Democrat Joe Biden's election victory, Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany today called yesterday's Electoral College vote just one step in the constitutional process. McEnany making her remarks after being asked by reporters whether President Trump now considers Biden to be the president-elect and whether he intends to invite him to the White House. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, meanwhile, congratulated the president-elect more than a month after the election today. Facebook says it's lifting its ban on political ads, but only for the Senate runoff races in Georgia. NPR's Shannon Bond reports the social network has come under pressure from the Democratic candidate's campaign. Facebook temporarily banned political ads to slow the spread of misinformation following the presidential election. But Democrats are frustrated they haven't been able to use the biggest social network to reach voters ahead of Georgia's crucial runoff elections next month. The outcome of those races will determine which party controls the Senate. Facebook says it heard that frustration and will start accepting ads aimed at Georgia voters on Wednesday. That's an exception. It's keeping its temporary ban in place elsewhere. 
Meanwhile, Google, which had also banned political ads after the election, has started accepting them again. Facebook and Google are among NPR's financial supporters. Shannon Bond, NPR News. President Joe Biden has chosen one-time presidential contender and former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg to be his transportation secretary. That's according to a union official familiar with discussions who's confirmed the appointment to NPR. The 38-year-old Buttigieg was a breakout star of the primaries, a centrist who shared a victory in the nation's first caucus with Bernie Sanders. It confirmed he'll be the first openly gay person to serve in a permanent position as United States Cabinet Secretary. Stocks gained ground today on Wall Street. The Dow up 337 points. The Nasdaq rose 155 points today. You're listening to NPR. Canada's government is confirming it's contracted to receive up to 168,000 doses of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine before the end of the month. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau confirming deliveries could begin within the next 48 hours, pending approval by Canada's health regulator. Canadians began receiving vaccine shots by Pfizer and German company BioNTech on Monday. Vogue editor and Chief Anna Wintour has been promoted to the head of all content for the media company Condé Nast. The company which publishes Vogue, The New Yorker, Bon Appetit, Pitchfork and more made the announcement today. NPR's Andrew Limbong reports Wintour is one of the most powerful voices in fashion. Anna Wintour will still oversee Vogue U.S. as she takes on her new role, Global Chief Content Officer for Condé Nast. In the statement announcing the news, Condé Nast CEO Roger Lynch said Wintour had an ability to stay ahead connecting to new audiences while cultivating some of today's brightest talent. Earlier this summer, black journalists spoke anonymously to the New York Times, saying Wintour favored thin, white, wealthy employees. Another Condé Nast title, Bon Appetit, was also caught up in its own scandal this summer for paying its employees of color less and their white counterparts. In the statement, Wintour says she hopes to use Condé Nast's global reach to, quote, tell the most important, inclusive, and inspiring stories of our time. Andrew Limbong, NPR News. The company behind the idea of providing urban helicopter taxis says it intends to go public. The announcement follows the move by Blade to merge with NASDAQ-listed Experience Investment Corporation. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. And taking a look at the weather, first here in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, looks like we'll have maybe an inch of rain between today and tomorrow, starting later tonight. There'll be a low of 42 tonight, high of 46 tomorrow, but after the rain tomorrow, it's going to be mostly sunny for the rest of the week, with highs in the lower 60s. In Sacramento, low of 48, high of 57, rain tonight, again clearing tomorrow, mostly sunny through next week with highs in the lower to mid-60s. And in Truckee, low of 27, high of 36, rain and snow through tomorrow, clearing by Friday, mostly sunny the rest of the week with highs in the low 40s. I'm speaking with Taylor Wolf, and we're kind of doing our update here. And uh, uh, welcome to KVMR, Taylor. Thank you, Paul. Always a pleasure to join you. Thanks for having me on. You have some updated numbers. Let's start with that. Yeah, so we are adding 26 new positive COVID-19 cases to our dashboard uh, for today. 
We typically update our dashboard, mynevadacounty.com slash coronavirus, um, every day before the weekday, before the end of the day. Um, so this represents new cases coming in from the end of the day yesterday to today. Uh, we currently have 534 active cases. So that is an increase of four from yesterday. A lot and very high community transmission going on right now. Um, hence us being in a stay-home order for our region, which is directly linked to our region's ICU capacity, which fell under 15% recently. Uh, tragically, we are also adding two additional deaths, which brings us to a total of 34 COVID-19 deaths in Nevada County. Um, again, this is very tragic, and our hearts go out to the family of these individuals, and it's also a sober reminder of the threat of COVID-19 and how we can all um, mitigate this from happening by, by doing what we we all know it's refraining from those social gatherings, masking, distancing, and good hygiene habits. Well, Taylor, there is some good news. I think uh, Nevada County now has a plan for COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, tell us about uh, what we have so far. Yes, thank you, Paul. Uh, we are excited to talk a little bit about this. It is the light at the end of the tunnel, as we've been saying. So um, we have a plan that's been submitted to the state, and it's currently under review. Uh, we'll have that posted to our website shortly, mynevadacounties slash coronavirus slash vaccine is how you can get directly there. Um, and then the state also told us recently that all county plans are, are currently being evaluated, and they will publish a shared summary for all the plans for all counties by mid-January. So when does it appear that the vaccines are going to be arriving? So this is where some of the good news comes in. Uh, we are expecting our first shipment of the vaccine um, any day now, so sometime this week. The first shipment, it, it will be small. Uh, there's a limited amount of doses available, but it is 975 doses of the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, these first doses, they're going to go out to our two local hospitals. So that's Tahoe Forest Hospital up in our Truckee area and, of course, here in Nevada, here in Grass Valley. Um, and it will go to our frontline health care workers. We expect to receive additional vaccine allocations each week, although these allocations, at least initially, will likely relate, remain relatively small. So is there a waiting list that people can get on? What is the process for uh, you know, just those people out there in the general public about when, when and how they can get a vaccine if that's what they want to do? Yes, that's a great question. We know uh, people are ready to be vaccinated. It's been a long nine months. Um, so the state California Department of Public Health has worked with local counties to create um, a tier system, if you will, about prioritizing who gets vaccinated first. Um, first, that is our frontline health care workers. Um, and then it moves on to, to congregate care settings, such as skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities. After that, we start moving towards our first responders, uh, those frontline workers that keep the water running, so to speak, thinking of your, your firemen, your policemen, or wastewater workers. Um, you know, we get a question a lot, is there a waiting list and can I get on it? Unfortunately, no, there is not a waiting list, but as availability increases with uh, these COVID-19 vaccines, they'll eventually be available by your local health care providers and by Nevada County Public Health. 
So how can people help out on this? So right now, you know, really the best thing people can do is stay home, stay within your family unit. We know it's the holidays, but it's extra tough this time of year. Um, but as we're seeing cases skyrocket, it's more important than ever. Um, you know, stay home, wear your mask, um, and social distance uh, if you are out and about and near non-household members. Uh, the other tidbit people can help out with is if you are a health care worker with an active license and would like to volunteer as a disaster health care worker, you can sign up to do so. That's on our website, uh, mynevadacounty.com slash coronavirus slash vaccine. There is a link to the disaster health care volunteer database where you can sign up. When we're a little bit further down the line on our vaccine process, Nevada County Public Health is planning to hold meetings with these providers to consult about the best way to ensure that everyone who qualifies for these initial doses has access to them and more information will likely be coming via provider health alerts which is linked to that disaster healthcare volunteer database. So basically right now the good news is the process is starting of, of vaccinations real soon for Nevada County. I guess the not so good news is it's just not out there for the general public, at least for a while. That is correct. Yes, we're still going to have to wait a little bit um, to get this vaccine more widely available, get more allocations into our counties and vaccinate our most vulnerable residents first. Um, but again, this is a light at the end of the tunnel. I think after nine months, uh, it's been a very exciting week to start seeing this not only in our community, but throughout the state and nationally. Uh, so we hope people stay tuned. Again, visit our website, mynevadacounty.com slash coronavirus. If you visit our vaccine page, there's great information there. All the information I talked about today, plus more information from the state of California who are working with on this process. So if people do want to take that deep dive, the information is available for you. As always, uh, Taylor, thank you so much for speaking with KVMR and keeping us up to date. Thank you so much, Paul. Take care. I have been speaking with Taylor Wolf with Nevada County, getting the information on vaccines in our community. I'm speaking with Nevada City Mayor Aaron Manette, and uh, well, welcome to KVMR, Aaron. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it so much. Well, a lot of things going on, a huge number of things we could talk about, but I really want to talk with you about the Nevada City Safe program that is being kind of run by the uh, by the city council. And uh, tell us about this. Well, I'm actually really excited about this. And just let me give you a little background. We've been hearing from so many residents that they weren't comfortable coming to town because there were so many people without masks on and they weren't sure, you know, what, you know, there, it appeared that businesses felt the same way. And so we decided to start a program that certified businesses that were following all the guidelines. They were taking care of their employees and making it safe for um, our residents to come in and go shopping. So that's how it all started. And, of course, we were putting it together before we went to the shutdown. So I'm 
very excited that at least retail can stay open 20% because, you know, it's Christmas. So, um, yeah, and so we're just so excited. Um, these businesses have worked really hard to ensure customer and their employees' safety. And, you know, we're giving a big shout-out to them. Now, what are they required to do in order to uh, get this uh, kind of certification? <laughs> so, actually, most of them have already done it. Um, it. Most of them are ready to go. Um, the biggest thing that they have to have is a long, um, a long form that it's basically a plan. That they don't have to put it on their window or anything. It's a plan, and there is a link on our website for it. But they need to have everything in place safety-wise. So it's um, it's uh, they need to perform a detailed risk assessment um, for their business. And once they have that, then our code enforcement officer will come down and they fill out a short form. And on that short form, they basically agreed that they have trained their employees um, and that they have been trained in how to screen themselves for symptoms and to stay home. They have implemented an individual control measure and screening, including masks for employees and customers. And they've also implemented disinfecting protocols and physical distancing. And they basically just check off that form. If they have the long form, the code officer um, signs them off and gives them a certified um, poster to put in their window, which basically has um, our seal on it, and it's embossed in, so it's not something they can copy off the Internet. Um, so and it lets people know that they are a Nevada City safe um, business. So then if people coming to town can rest assured that uh, if they come to town and they wear a mask— they yes. can walk around and shop, uh, and they can go uh, if they see one of these uh, uh, things in the window. That they're going to go into a business that is taking certified care of safe. certified safe. And, yes, and and go ahead. right now we have we just started this program, and we are working as quickly as possible. Um, staff, we're a little shorthanded in Nevada City, um, but we are trying very quickly to um, get to as many stores as we can. But right now we have 18 that have already been certified um, as of 2 o'clock today. There may be more on that list. Um, so just, you know, Remedy Gardens, Three Forks, Bakery and Brewing Company, Keratin's Fine Wines, Thunder Juice, um, Novak's Treats, Fur Traders, Fred's, The Hat Store, Java John's, Hartward, The Pizza Joint, Grey Goose, Bistro two, um, 221, Mama, Mama Madrones, and the foundry is getting it as I speak to you. <laughs> so uh, businesses are complying, but th- it is going to take a little bit of time to get the whole town kind of uh, right. on board. And that's the businesses who want to do it. Now, uh, in general, uh, uh, there's a lot of, of course, a lot of financial uh, problems with the COVID and with having to shut down businesses. 
but there is business in town. Uh, I I go to town during the day and I see quite a few people out and about. Yeah. And, well, and our retails are open. Uh, most of our restaurants are doing takeout. Um, I mean, I'm practically ordering takeout every night of the week now. Um, and yes, our businesses are suffering. And I think the biggest thing I want to say is, you know, it is Christmas and I'm doing my Christmas shopping. Don't shop Amazon. Please shop local. It is so important. You know, the businesses are counting on us as a community to come together and support them. And I'm asking you to support um, our city safe businesses. They are working really hard to keep you safe. And also, I just want to put a shout out that we, the county is doing another um, relief fund they are putting together. So, and it's going to mom and pop businesses and they will, one of the qualifications to get that fund is also being a safe business that are, they're only going to do it with businesses that are actually following the um, restrictions. So, you know, good for them. Now, now, these restrictions, these are state guidelines. These aren't things yes. that Nevada City made up just for no, our town. No. You know, if this is about health and safety. This isn't about, you know, this, you know, a number of people are trying to make this political. But this is really about our health and safety. This is, you know, people are dying. And, you know, the same group is walking around saying we don't have to wear masks and we don't. This is all fake. Well, and they used to say, oh, we've only had one death. Well, now we've had 32 deaths. And it seems like we're having a one to two deaths almost daily. So, uh, you know, come on. It's time to step up and do the right thing. And, you know, I want to thank everybody who's willing to wear a mask. You are a good member of the community, and I thank you. Aaron, how can people find out more about this? Uh, how can businesses that maybe just don't quite have all the information. Um, so they can go to the um, City of Nevada City's website. It's right on the homepage, right at the top. And they can go right down. They can also um, call Amanda Kaiser at, um, at the police department. They can reach out to our code enforcement officer, Amanda Kaiser, at Nevada City. And if you go to our website, her email contact is on there under the Nevada City Safe Program. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for speaking with KVMR and keeping us up to date. And feel free to contact us at any time. Paul, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, you know, stay safe and wear a mask. You bet. Thank you, okay. Aaron. I have been speaking with Aaron Manette, Mayor of Nevada City. You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and this is the Wednesday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30 tonight, we have the sages among us, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have George Rabain with a commentary. Last Monday, the Electoral College elected Joe Biden to be the 46th president of the United States. The election was heavily contested for two distinct reasons, but to no avail. 
Let me be clear from the start. I am a conservatarian and therefore not happy with the election's outcome, also for two distinct reasons to which we'll get directly. This election is unique in our country's history for a few significant reasons, one of them being in the number of people who decided to get off their duffs and vote. Another, and perhaps more important, is that this election was fraught with an enormous number of irregularities, procedural, legal, and criminally fraudulent. Each of these categories contained enough incidents not only to give credibility as to their witnessed occurrences, but also of the types that should have led to annulment or at least a redo of the cited precinct's work to correctly qualify and count the ballots. An alarming number of states violated their own laws, constitutions, and the U.S. Constitution in the manner they conducted their elections prior to and in the aftermath of November 3rd. These violations are a matter of record, and they overwhelmingly favored one candidate over the other, always the same candidate. Then we come to the criminally fraudulent incidents. These again were reported by witnesses putting themselves at substantial risk of committing felonies, as they filed affidavits that attested to what they saw and heard. And again, such sworn affidavits, which are accepted as evidence in all courts, numbered in the hundreds across the land and described incidents of ballot handling that could have plausibly affected the election's outcome had they been allowed to be corroborated by the authorities. The bottom line here is that, in the election's aftermath, there arose a tsunami of documented evidence that we may gently label irregularities. President Trump understandably protested these irregularities through legal channels and institutions available to him. As we now know, it was all to no avail. The arguments filed as complaints in his behalf, and more importantly, on behalf of Americans of all political colorations who had lost confidence in the legitimacy of our national elections, they were all rejected by the state and federal courts at every level up to and including the Supreme Court. Few Americans know that the basis for the rejections were all for procedural reasons. The courts did not contend the quality or verity of the presented evidence. The most common ruling handed down was substantiated with a fiat statement that the suit had no merit or that even if the plaintiff were to prevail, that the result would not reverse the election's outcome. Never mind that the latter argument had no bearing on the legal matter. It was only political. These rulings in and of themselves were astounding, given the impact they would have on the national polity, the choice between two distinct social and economic futures for our country. The enormous volumes of evidence presented were not even allowed to have their day in court so that they could be dissected on their factual and legal merits. All of it was summarily dismissed. People like me remain concerned not only because the election's outcome has pointed us in the direction that leads to a stable and powerful political monopoly, a known stepping stone to tyranny, but also because not resolving the election's irregularities has created a dangerous mindset in at least half of Americans who report that they have lost confidence in the most important sacrament of a democracy, the free, fair, and transparent expression of the people's will. 
If a large fraction of citizens will now believe that an unpopular outcome is the result of a tainted election process, and there is no possibility of appeal or relief through normal judicial channels, then what alternative paths of actions remain? So, dear listener, that President Trump lost is neither the point here nor my lament. Politicians win and lose all the time. What I and similarly-minded people lament is that, henceforth, our elections can readily be corrupted with demonstrable flaws that are subsequently ignored through an established judicial precedent by which evidence-rich appeals can be summarily rejected by the state. My name is Rebain, and I also expand on this and related themes on Rebain's Ruminations, where the addended transcript of this commentary is posted with relevant links and where such issues are debated extensively. However, my views are not necessarily shared by KVMR. Thank you for listening. Well, that's our newscast for this evening. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. If you've heard something on this newscast you'd like to hear again, you can go to our website at kvmr.org where you can download audio or listen on demand. Coming up next, we have this week's edition of The Sages Among Us, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Paul Emery. Thanks for listening. Ha <laughs> ha